Hi, ladies. This is Kathy Laurie, and I am recording a special podcast based on a message on marriage that I did this past July at the Good Things Conference. And I just want to say, welcome to the Virtue Podcast. This is just women encouraging women. Some of us are pastor's wives, but most of us are just ordinary ladies who are living ordinary lives and have found God's Word to be the wisdom and the counsel that we need to do this well. So we are sharing from our hearts, from our personal experiences, and are hoping that as a result of this podcast and the ones to come, that you will be encouraged in your walk with the Lord. As I mentioned, this is my podcast that I'm doing on the subject of marriage, and I have titled this podcast Better Together because I truly believe we are better together in marriage than we would be ever single. So here we are together finding the um, finding the joy of walking with Jesus with another person sharing the same bed in the same house for the rest of our lives. It's a little daunting at times, but let me tell you, it is worth it, and it works. Years ago, Greg sent me a card in the mail, um, and it was during a time when we had been broken up. We were dating, and he sent this to me, this scripture, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And then the very next verse says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Now, my love is not that strong. Greg's love is not that strong. But when we are looking to God's love to help us, to give us what we need, we can say, many waters cannot quench love. And after 50 years— Craig and I are finally getting the hang of this, so be encouraged. Hang in there for the long haul. It's always a blessing. Um, As I mentioned, Greg and I have been together 50 years, and it's been a process of becoming one that has been one of growth for years and years. And I want to tell you before we begin that there are some really bad, unrealistic thoughts going on around there, distorted views that our culture has about marriage. These are false assumptions, and the, probably the f- number one false assumption is that most marriages are unhappy and that you're going to be one of the very, very few, and it's going to be super hard and super unusual for you to find marriage to be fulfilling and blessed and happy. Another false assumption is that living together is a great option, kind of a way of kicking the tires on your relationship just to find out if you're compatible or not before tying the knot. False. Another false assumption is that before marriage, you need to experiment and find out if you have the right, quote-unquote, sexual chemistry to see if this is going to work or not. Um, Stats have shown that is a really bad idea. And number four, that the key to a happy marriage is that you have to, like finding a needle in a haystack, find that perfect soulmate. And this was actually on a Christian dating site online. Um, A person could find someone who won't change them, who accepts them as they are, someone who will affirm them and keep them to be themselves and not shackle them or change them. I just wonder how that's working out for them. Looking for that is like looking for the impossible because the results of this false perception of marriage is an all-time low for marriage. The last 50 years, there's been a 60% decline, and there's a real fear and a negative view of marriage. 
And that some of these other stats that are piling on, that our culture are telling us, are discouraging people from ever getting married or from staying married because they feel that it's just an impossible feat. Well, let me give you some good news. First of all, over the last 40 years, in general, 62% of all married people are not just happy, but are very happy. And also that the longer that they stay together as married couples, the less likely they are to break up. And that two-thirds of marriages who say that they're, eh, they're not a little lower than happy, they're unhappy, have heard that if they stick together for five years, after five years of just hanging in there, they will say that they are now happy. Listen, I have heard the regrets of Christian couples who have divorced that have come back later on and said, I wish I would have hung in there. I wish it would have stuck it out. If only I would have stayed. I know we could have worked it out. I still love them. It's not the first time I've heard that. It's not the second time I've heard that. I've heard that at least three or four times. So here's the truth. There are piles and piles of data that say married people have a higher level of physical health, mental health, economic stability at every age. In marriage, we provide more support as we face the trials of life together. We have resources to encourage one another to greater levels of self-discipline than our friends could ever provide for us. And get this, children who grow up with two parents all their lives have a 200 to 300% chance to have positive life outcomes. And this is an often repeated false perception of marriage. That is that the divorce rate within the church is the same as in the world. Not so. The divorce rate is much lower, significantly lower. So we want to stop believing what culture is telling us, what voices that we might be hearing out of movies and culture. Let's be aware and spread the truth of what God says about marriage. Here is the purpose of Christian marriage. Christian marriage is an institution ordained by God and blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ and established and sanctified, get this, for the happiness and welfare of mankind, for happiness and flourishing, ladies. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said that the spirit of truth would come and he would guide us into all truth. And what God says about marriage is what we need to set up as the banner of truth. And if he says marriage is for our happiness and for the flourishing of mankind, you better believe that is the truth and that are, those are the facts. Most marriages dissolve not over big-ticket items or major crises, but little things and attitudes and actions that sometimes have made the big difference. Listen, we can do this. So I want to tell you nine things that have helped me in my marriage, and they're very practical. Number one, I want you to enjoy the oppositeness of who you are. Men and women are very different. We think differently. We clash in many ways. But as a result, we can also mesh. Yes, those opposite things are part of God's eternal plan to bring two people together with very different views, likes, and interests and make them one. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 tells us that God saw the aloneness of man and he said that he would make a helper suitable for him. 
The word helper does not mean assistant. It means a person who would come alongside and be more than that assistant, but rather a supplementary strength. You need your husband, and your husband needs you. That word that is translated suitable or fit for is the Hebrew word that could be also translated in these words, and it sounds different, but it, it isn't an oxymoron. It means like opposite to him. Two opposite pieces, like puzzle pieces, that fit together, not because they are identical, but because of the fact that they are opposite. You and your husband have many differences, just like Greg and I do. We couldn't be more different. Our upbringings were different. Our personality types are different. Our eating habits are different. If you've ever listened to Greg speak, you know that he's mentioned that. Um, We clash, but we mesh. And over 50 years, we are so interlocked now that it would be very difficult to separate us We love and respect and value that oppositeness. There's a French phrase that says, Viva la différence, which means celebrate the differences. I loved those things about Greg, especially when we were dating. Those were the very things that attracted me to him. I had very strong opinions. And even though I was attracted to who Greg was and and what he was like, I fought against that. For many years, I struggled trying to change him and make him more like me. But that is exactly not why I was attracted to him. I liked the fact that he was different than I was. We came from different families. Greg's mother was married and divorced seven times. My parents were together all their lives and had a wonderful marriage. I had an incredible example of stability. Greg was an only child. He had no one really to care for him or anyone to have to consider about his feelings or his choices other than himself. Whereas I was raised as one of five. I was a middle child. I was the peacemaker trying to bridge the gap between my older siblings, my younger siblings. I was very different in my upbringing than Greg. But I'll tell you that the strengths that he has as a result of having to fend for himself and decide for himself and look at life through clear Uh, eyes was very different than my sheltered upbringing. I need him, and I believe he needs me. If you are a newlywed thinking that you can win every argument or change your spouse by criticism or reasoning and persuasion, can I tell you you may only be inflaming the situation? Let's just take it easy. Let's slow down. Let's celebrate the differences and appreciate the other person, so vital in our relationships. Number two, adjust your false perceptions. And let me tell you, ladies, if you are reading romance novels, watching too much Hallmark Channel, (laughs) reading a lot of Jane Austen, you're going to come into marriage with all kinds of false expectations. Adjust your perceptions. Adjust what it is that you are expecting out of marriage. Look at married couples that have been living together and loving each other for a long period of time and study what their marriages are like. Let me tell you, you're not going to see Hollywood celebrating that very often, but that is reality. What you read in a romance novel or see in a woman's magazine is not reality. 
Change your perceptions. Change your ideas of what marriage is meant to be like. God's ideas and God's Word is where we get that correct information. And can I tell you that in the midst of the clashing and meshing that marriage entails, don't think that you have been hurt by your husband intentionally. Believe the best of your spouse. Listen, if you've been married for any length of time or dating for any length of time for that matter, even in your struggling relationships, can I tell you that your husband more than likely cares deeply about you, even when they've said something that has hurt your feelings or you thought was thoughtless or, or mean? Can I tell you that behind that is more than likely a man who really intends to be helping, a man who really cares deeply, may have been that they have said something that you have taken the wrong way. Can I just tell you, believe the best of them. Don't imagine that that was intentional or deliberate or a habit pattern that's going to stick forever. You can change your outlook about that very conflict by reminding yourself and saying, you know, he might have said that and it did hurt my feelings. He might have done that and it seemed negligent or uncaring. But I'm going to tell myself that more times than not, he does love me. He has shown that to me. He has done things that show he cares about me. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that love will believe the best. Don't assume that they don't care. If you change your outlook by reminding yourself that he does love you, that he does not intend to hurt you, that he just didn't know how that might have made you feel, will begin to change your outlook and begin to change your thought pattern, begin to change your actions and your attitudes. Philippians 4 verse 8 tells us, Dear brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable, right, and pure, what is lovely and admirable. Think of those things. Even in struggling marriages, the vast majority of husbands do deeply care about their wives. But if you happen to have a happy marriage, you have to choose to believe what is true and what is best, even when you're hurt. Listen, the other day, we had planned a birthday party for Christopher, and we had the whole family coming to a restaurant, one of his favorite restaurants. And then it turned out that in the midst of all of this wonderful birthday celebration that I had planned in my mind, Greg had something pop up on his calendar that he felt was important and that he had to attend to. During the birthday party, he had to step outside and deal with some things regarding work. Can I tell you, I was upset. I was angry. I was thinking how thoughtless and uncaring he was. And I began to get emotionally upset. It took me a little time before I began to talk myself off of that cliff and say to myself, you know what? He's dealing with an issue that is important to him, that he feels that the Lord would have him take care of, that he wants to do something for the kingdom and for God that supersedes this momentary birthday party. I know he loves the family. I know he takes time for the family. This one incident that maybe he had overlooked and not planned exactly the way I had planned it was not a sign that he didn't care or he didn't love me. It was just a matter of that one thing 
Don't take that little thing that you're upset about and turn it into a mountain. It may have been, if you were facing a situation like that, that he just wasn't thinking at all. Give him a pass and address it calmly and differently. Listen, I have learned another thing, and that is to mistrust my own feelings. Just because I'm feeling upset or angry or have painted this black picture or perception in my mind doesn't mean that it is reality. Mistrust your feelings when you're going through those seasons or spells. Change what you're focused on and you will change what you do, and it'll affect how you feel. Focus and rehearse in your mind all the good things that your husband is doing, how he is taking the time to work hard to provide for your family. Maybe he missed that special dinner engagement. Maybe he was late coming home. Think about why he is doing that. Notice the best things and focus on those things. If you talk about what is lovely and think about what is excellent instead of what you're dissatisfied with, let me tell you, you will have your feelings come into line. Another thing that I want to share with you is practice those everyday, ordinary acts of love and kindness. Um, We tend not to do these things because we think that they don't really matter that much. We think we're facing some sort of crisis or major hiccup in our relationship And instead of doing some small little things that could say, I love you and diffuse the situation, we tend to dismiss those and say, no, I'm not going to do those. I'm angry about that. We need to deal with this big issue. But let me tell you, those little things that say to your husband, I care, I love you, if you will take the time to learn his love language, and that's a huge thing. As I said, Greg and I are opposites. Greg's love language is big. It is often large, extravagant acts of lavish gift-giving or a special moment together. His ideas are different than mine. Mine are like doing the—I'd like a practical gift. I'd like something I will actually use around the house. He would not like that as a gift. He would would think that would be not a great celebration. On the other hand, I would. Do I give him what he wants? Do I see— what he loves. Learn that. You studied that about him when you were dating, what he liked, what his favorite music was, who his favorite sports teams were, what he liked to eat, how he liked to celebrate. Learn those things again. Don't dismiss them in your life now that you've been married a few years. What is it that shows that you love and care about him? I learned early on that for Greg, Food was a huge component to showing him I loved and cared for him. Getting up early in the morning and making him breakfast. I don't eat breakfast. So for me, that would be not a way of showing that you love me, but it's a way of showing I care and love him. Doing those small things regularly will make it harder for other issues to hurt your marriage. And can I tell you one very impactful thing you can do? Say thank you to him. Thank you for what he has done. Notice what he's done. If he works hard, say thank you for working hard. Thank you for wanting to provide for the stability of our family and for myself. Thank you. It can be so small saying thank you. It's not. It means more to a man than you could ever imagine. It's been said that saying thank you is the same as if he said, 
I love you to you. Notice what he does and tell him thank you. Do those small little things, how you greet him at the door, the conversation over the dinner table. Those things matter, and they pile up over years. Sometimes they matter more over the course of a lifetime than that big extravagant thing that you might think you need to do, some Mount Everest that you need to climb to overcome a hurdle. Do the little things daily. You know, I learned early on that love was more than just a feeling. Love was an action. Love was washing the dishes. Love was running an errand. Love was a smile and a listening ear. Love was paying attention. Love was saying thank you. Those practicing everyday, ordinary acts of kindness will make a difference and do make a difference. When you cannot resolve a conflict, we've been often told, don't go to bed angry. It's so true. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Try to apologize and let it go. Generally, there's a great principle in that. Pray together. If he will pray with you, and if he won't pray with you, pray by yourself. Forgive and receive forgiveness. Take your disappointments or those things that are conflicts in your marriage to God. Listen, Greg and I, and he has said this from the pulpit, so I'm not divulging anything he wouldn't have told you himself. We have had irreconcilable differences for 50 years. There are things that are very different that we have about each other in our lives. But can I say hashing it out and arguing it to the nth degree when you're tired or when you're hungry or when something has just happened that has upset the both of you is not always the best wisdom. Sometimes you need to just take a break, hit the pause button, calm down and cool down Take a walk. Pray about it. Sometimes sleeping on it. There have been times when I've been upset at night and have not been able to hash this out or work it out before bedtime. Committed it to the Lord that evening and woken up the next morning with this realization, what was I so upset and angry about? Sometimes things loom so large in the moment, in the heat of the moment, that you have lost perspective. Like I said, Greg and I will often have little disagreements or squabbles, and he'll say, why don't you go take a hot bath? Or I'll say, why don't you go outside and take a walk? A little separation, a little calming down, a little cooling down helps us to see big things big and small things small. If you have a conflict, can I tell you, number one, express what is bothering you calmly and not as an attack. Ask questions. You may not know what the thought was behind the words or the actions. Ask about it. Try to understand their perspective. Number two, when you have had a conflict and it's been your fault, you need to learn to repent, apologize. Pride can get in the way of that so easily. Say you're sorry. Learn to repent acknowledge what what you did and how it has hurt them and say that it matters to you. And lastly, practice and learn how to forgive and receive forgiveness. If you hold on to hurt over a period of time, it is going to undermine and damage your marriage. It is unbelievably destructive to hold on to unforgiveness. Learn to forgive and learn to receive forgiveness. 
so vitally important. I cannot tell you how often receiving forgiveness from Greg has taught me to extend forgiveness to Greg. Practice that. Criticizing is not a virtue. You are not helping him by doing that. Recognize that his viewpoint is valid and you need to give time. James 1 verses 19 to 20 tells us, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We often do it in the exact opposite way. We don't listen. We're quick to say what we don't think about, and we're quick to allow our anger to take hold of us. That verse goes on in verse 20 to say, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, it doesn't have a good effect or impact. Apologize. Listen carefully. Sleep on it if you have to. Receive forgiveness. And don't expect fruit to grow overnight. If you see an aspect in your husband that you just wish he would change, pray about it and give him time. There's an awful lot of baggage that we bring into our relationships. Realize that what may seem to you like a piece of cake and an easy thing to do might be much, much harder based on what he has experienced in his life, what he has gone through. It is so important that we live with understanding for one another. Another thing, ladies, that I would like to emphasize is to protect your spouse. Don't humiliate them. Don't do it in front of the children or other couples over the dinner table publicly. In fact, the only one, honestly, that is humiliated is yourself. I discourage you from sharing your most intimate feelings and thoughts about your spouse with your best friend or your sister or your mother. Be very careful because, as I mentioned, you may come to an understanding with your husband later on. You may not have had the facts right. You may have jumped to a conclusion. You may have have not given him the benefit of the doubt and recognized later on that you were wrong. But did you go back and clear the air with those other people? They may not so quickly move on. They may hold those grudges against your husband. Don't expose him in a way that weakens your relationship. Remember, you two are bonded. You are inseparable. You have made vows before God and one another to stand by each other, to believe the best of each other, to support and love each other. Privacy is huge. And the trust and confidence that your husband has placed in you may be broken and very hard to repair if you go talking about the intimate details of your marriage. Listen, unless you're in a crisis situation, in a dangerous or destructive marriage, and I'm not talking to those types of marriages here. I'm talking to the vast majority of us that are somewhere in the middle ground of a happy marriage, but a marriage that has some issues at times. Listen, if you're in one of those destructive marriages, dangerous or crisis situation, you need help beyond just praying about it. You need to go to counseling and find a pastor, find a a counselor who can help you walk through that. But for the rest of us, pray and humble yourself. Give yourself wholeheartedly to your spouse and trust that they trust you. Allow the Holy Spirit the time to grow your spouse and to mature them. There is no greater developer of human fruitfulness and flourishing than marriage. Listen, 
you can walk away from a friendship, you can walk away from a job, you can walk away from a, a lot of circumstances, but in Christian marriage, you are bonded together, and it takes time. And it is within those difficult situations that you will grow. You will, as a result of being stretched to forgive, to work on your marriage, to sacrifice, to love, those are the areas that you're going to see the greatest fruit in your life and the greatest fruit in your husband's. It is for the flourishing of your own personal life and personal happiness that God has given you this great gift of marriage. I want to close with one of the most important things I could say to you, and I see this happen so often in marriage, and that is recognize the dangerous pitfalls that are out there. Keep those high fences around your relationships. Listen, when it comes to marriage, you have to keep yourself pure and wholly set apart for your spouse. Proverbs 24 tells us that he walked by the field of a lazy man and he saw something. He saw it was overgrown with weeds and he saw the wall was broken down and there were thorns covering the surface. This is a marriage that has suffered neglect and fences that were broken down. Extramarital affections, friendships, Time spent in conversation with members of the opposite sex, activities, hobbies that you pursue with someone of the opposite sex is a dangerous playground. Keep high fences. Can I tell you, even viewing things, movies, reading certain books, and porn is a real issue for women. It, you may not think so. You may think pornography is a, is a man's issue. It is not. Almost three out of every 10 users of pornography, consumers of pornography, are female. That will warp your marriage. That is a broken down fence. You need to keep high fences. Don't check up on your old boyfriend on Facebook. Private messaging members of the opposite sex, like I mentioned, lingering conversations on the phone or in person. Fences are so incredibly important. Don't trust your own heart. Don't say, well, God knows my heart. It's just a friendship. It's just an innocent conversation. Prolonged attachment, whether you classify it as just friendship or even, can I say this, even ministry, can be a broken down fence if you're spending too much time with a member of the opposite sex. Don't do it. Divorce and marriage problems are something that can happen to you. It can happen to me. Let us not say or be tempted to say, this is not an area that I would ever fall in. Oswald Chambers said this, the Bible characters never fell on their weak points, but on their strong ones. And unguarded strength is a double weakness. You may think you're strong in this area. Don't take it for granted. Keep those fences high. Protect your heart. Proverbs also tells us, above all, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Ladies, keep those fences high. The office, the gym, serving closely in ministry with someone of the opposite sex, those constant attachments and conversations can lead to dangerous territory. Don't think you're above it. Keep yourself set apart for your husband. Even good things can become fence breakers, work, outside hobbies, other interests, sports, 
even your family can take the place of God's rightful position your husband has in your life. He should be your number one human priority. And lastly, take the long-range approach, not the short-term. Christian marriage is a long journey, and it takes time. People don't grow overnight. You won't grow overnight. But don't ever give up. Use your strengths to help him and allow him to help you in a safe and secure, lifelong commitment. And can I tell you that after 50 years of marriage, it just gets better. It gets deeper and richer. All the romantic notions that I might have had as a teenager growing up cannot compare with the depth of joy and love and romantic life that I've had with Greg. It is amazing. Stay the course. Don't jump ship. Hang in there. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. And after 50 years, it just keeps getting better and better. Lord, I just pray for the women that have listened to this podcast, and I know that many of them have little things in their life that they need to adjust and pay attention to, and I pray that these simple applications that we have shared will make a complete change in their lives over the course of time. Father, we want our marriages to be a reflection of your commitment and your love for us and our love for you that will last for all eternity. Help us to see this in terms of eternal perspectives. We commit our lives, our marriages, and this very moment of what the Holy Spirit is speaking into our hearts to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.